house of the Lord for sure today. Um, if we could just pray before we get started. Lord, we give you glory and honor and praise. I thank you, Lord, that you are God, that you are almighty, that you are sovereign, and that you are faithful, Lord Jesus. I thank you and praise you, and I ask that you just be in our Sunday schools today, Lord God, from our children's ministry to our middle school ministry to our adult class today, Lord, that you will just let your presence be known to each and every one of us. God, you see how and where we're at, each and every one of us, and I ask that you just let your grace and your mercies be upon us and lead and guide us today in Jesus' name. Again, thank you, everyone. Uh, most of you probably know who I am. I'm Cheryl Perkins. And um, I had a lot of pot stirring this morning, so I'm a little out of breath. <laughs> had to get the Sunday school guys going this morning. Um, so um, just for you have parents, your kids are learning about Joan and the whale today. But we have a little different take on it, and it kind of, sort of, maybe goes into what I'm talking about, but um, they're talking about how, so if you don't know, we're doing under the sea, right? Finding Jesus deeper, going deeper. And um, so each, each Sunday is a theme with a sea creature, right? So last week we had dolphins. This week we have crabs, you know, little red crabs that we, well, most of us like to eat. <clears throat> um, so we're talking about, well, sorry, Kimberly Larson is teaching today, and she's teaching how crabby Jonah got with God. So um, make sure you talk to your kids about after school. We, after school, after Sunday school, we send home worksheets with you guys, with the kids. So make sure you go over the lesson with them. Um, it's important that we, we could only do so much in Sunday school, right? We only have them for maybe 45 minutes, sometimes maybe an hour. Um, so we need all of you guys, parents, grandparents, aunts and uncles, to bring home, drive home the lessons that we are teaching in Sunday school. So there's my commercial for Sunday school. I love those kids. They're awesome. Um, and we're learning a couple new songs. They're a little bit harder songs, um, but um, it's going to be awesome. All right. Um, a shepherd's job. So we're going to talk about being a shepherd today. Well, sort of. Um, <laughs> I'm going to sort of kind of today. Um, it's not an easy task, and it is not for a weak person, right? So how many of you like to sleep outside on rocks? Anyone? No one? No one? What? I don't understand. How many like to even sleep outside in a tent on rocks? <laughs> so I glam camp. So I'll, I'll sleep in a tent. I will sleep in a tent, mind you. But I have to have my air mattress. I have to make sure that my campsite has electricity so I can run my extension cord to that post so I can have a fan, so I can run my curling iron, so I can have a lamp. Literally, you guys, I have a lamp. My husband did get so annoyed with me. A, because my husband doesn't like to camp. Zero, nothing. No, he'd rather sit in the rain than go camping. Um, so I, I don't do well sleeping outside on rocks. But if you were a shepherd, that's what you did, right? So you were guiding the sheep, protecting them for the predators that were coming out. At night, if they heard a howl go on, like, oh, 
that would scare the sheep, right? So the sheep would just kind of, things would start going on with the sheep. And the shepherds would have to be calm, reassuring that it's okay, little sheepy sheepies, it'll be fine. Right? So they worked outside in the cold, the rain, the heat, kind of like your construction workers, which God bless all of you who do that. That's not something I'd rather sit in my office in a chair. Um, They had to know how to count, believe it or not. They weren't dummies. They had to know how to count because they had to count those sheep and not because they couldn't sleep. They had to count them, make sure they knew how many were in the herd. Okay? Um, Lambing season, you know, when they had lambs, it got a little messy. If any of you have been involved with your spouse or significant other's birthing process, you know it's a little messy, right? But it's worse with lambs because they are, you, well, anyhow, you guys get the idea. Shearing season. So when they would go and they would shear the sheep, you know, take all that wool off, it got messy. They had equipment, though. They were equipped to do their job. They would have a little leather bag that would hold their food, you know, their food supplies. They had a rod, okay? It's usually about three feet, so I don't know. I'm a terrible judge of distance and shape, feet. But anyhow, so three feet, and at the end was this sharp thing so that they could bonk something, you know, on the head if they had to. Um, they had a staff, okay, so they have this rod. Now they have the staff that's about five, we'll say I'm 5'4", five, so five feet, six. They used for leaning on, right, goading the sheep along. And it would help them count the sheep because they can, you know, they would die, put a die on it and count them as they went by. They would have a water container. They would have a sling. Now, that was either to get a sheep's attention, right? So they would pitch rocks at them to get them to move or whatever, draw their attention. Um, or they would use it against their predators. And they had a reed to play. So think harmonicas, cowboys out in the range, okay? So they had an instrument that they could entertain themselves, entertain, you know, their fellow shepherd, herder people. Um, But they were diligent. They were dependable, okay? So you couldn't have a shepherd going, it's too cold out here today. I don't want a shepherd, okay? They had to be dependable. They had to show up for work every day. They were hard workers. They were brave. They had to come across and take care of any predators, wolves, bears, lions, whatever they had. They had to be brave enough to take them on, right, and protect those sheep. So above all else, they protected the sheep. Usually, it was the youngest in the family that got this job as the sheep herder. So as each kid would come along, that kid would kind of transition into a different job and the youngest would get to be the sheep herder and as more children were born the older typically would help the father with any sowing planting harvesting etc so this brings me to our little friend Daniel so we're going to read out of first Samuel 16 today in the NIV and I'm sorry I do not have my Bible I have my Bible this is not strong enough because I have a big fat Bible. All right, so 1 Samuel 16. We're going to start with verse 10. 
says, Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. How could a parent feel that you have these sons that, you know, you think are marvelous, fabulous, these are my sons. And Samuel goes, mm, nah, rejected. What? These are, these are my oldest boys. They're the, they're the best, I think. And Samuel's like, mm, nope, reject them. Who else do you got? And the dad, Jesse, goes, well, you know, we have this young kid. He's out in the heat fields shepherding. And um, Samuel said, come, come get him. Send for him, and we're not going to do anything until he comes. So they sent for him, Daniel, and the Lord brought him. Daniel, I keep saying Daniel. David, he was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. So the kid was a pretty boy, right? <laughs> Tending sheep. And that's probably why his dad was like, an, oh, it's just David. The Lord said, rise and anoint him, this one. So Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the presence of his brothers, and from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. And then Samuel, he got up and left. So here we have this young, pretty boy out in the field tending sheep. But he was good at his job, right? We're going to find out later that he was good at his job. He didn't let his appearances, he didn't let his brothers, you know, get messed with his mind. Because um, you know how siblings are, if any of you have siblings. Um, my brother was a torturer, okay? He was family torturer. I have, I'm the oldest, I have a brother, and I have two younger sisters. And my brother, okay, granted, us girls weren't very nice to him either all the time. Um, so some things were justified <laughs> in what he would do to us. <laughs> uh, we broke two picture windows. I'd say we. Cheryl, okay. Cheryl never did that. Because <laughs> I was the oldest, so I was the best one. Um, um, but yeah, the picture window got broken twice at our house because things got thrown at a sibling <laughs> and missed. Went through the front picture window. Um, so yeah, sorry, I lost my page. Page eight. So Daniel being, Daniel, I keep saying Daniel. David, I even have in my notes Daniel. I must have been thinking about my grandson. David was the youngest of eight and was the one tending the sheep when Samuel came along. God saw his skills, okay? He was more than just a pretty boy in God's eyes. God knew the potential that this kid had. He knew that he would be able to take on the things that God would have for him down the road, right? So did he become king the very next day? Nope. Talked about when I was up here last time how God's timing is not our timings, and sometimes it takes God, well, we think it takes God way too long to do something, right? So David just didn't become king the next day. Um, if you go into chapter 16, we find out that David had some musical talents and that he would be used by King Saul. But we're going to move on into chapter 17, where we see some battle lines being drawn. 
And I know some of us, probably all of us, I know I do, have some battle lines that are out there that sometimes are hard to cross, right? And so in 1 Samuel 17, there was a battle line that was to be drawn between the Israelites and the Philistines. And the Philistines were out to win this war by playing mind games. Yeah, they did it back then too. But that's their whole purpose was to draw them out and draw the Israelites out because they had a secret weapon and they were playing mind games. So 1 Samuel 17, starting with verse 4. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. He was six cubits in a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head. He wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. And I should have looked away how much that was, but that just sounds like it's heavy, right? 5,000 shekels. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves, and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point, 600 shekels, and his shield bearer went ahead of him. And Goliath stood and shouted to the rest of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Why are you guys even here, is basically what he's saying. Why are you here? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man, you big babies. Have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we'll become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. And then the Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man. Come on, you guys. Pony up. Show me someone who's really brave in your ranks. You're mighty, mighty Israel. Show me someone that can come and defeat me. This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man. Let me fight him. And the very next line says, on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul, the king, mind you, right, King Saul, and the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. What is wrong with you people? Really, you have just, it's just one guy, one dude that's out here yelling, but he let them mess with their mind. What they saw, what they heard, they started trembling because he was messing with their mind. That's all he was doing. He would just stand there. He'd stand there and yell. That's it. Stand and yell. He wouldn't move except maybe to get up and walk towards them. But he was a big dude, granite, right? He had all this armor, granite. He was well ready to fight someone. He wasn't a puny little guy, right? He was a big dude, but all he was doing it was messing with their minds. 
Pastor Tim had talked about not too long ago about the battle in our brain. This is what I have for my lesson, so forgive me, Pastor, if I messed him up. This is what I got from it. Everything originates from the brain, right? What we see, what we smell, what we hear. Our brain starts thinking about it. And we feed, like I said, from what we see, what we hear. And we start worrying. We start stressing. We start overthinking. Right? We like, okay. Now, and Pastor has said this before, and Pastor Trish, now if I just did this and this and this, so I can just imagine King Saul's, you know, his um, gurus of the army going, now Saul, if we took this dude from behind, maybe we can sneak up on him and scare him and think that we're bigger than what we are. And I can just see Saul go, oh, no, that's not going to work. That's not going to work. Remember, he's got a whole big army behind him. It's not just one dude. But that's how we think. We think, God, if I could just, if I could just, if I could just do this, then, God, I think you could do that. We start strategizing with God and going, okay, God, this is, I, I can see this. This is how it's going to work out, right? And we start looking ahead and looking ahead. And when we see things crumbling before us, we start going, oh, no, I can't, I can't. No, 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 no. Don't, no, we can't go that way. That's not, that's not the way it's supposed to go. King Saul and his army were being fed fear being overpowered, and even killed by this one big old giant. But that's exactly what happens to us. Something in front of us, we make it to go, oh, no, and we start shrinking back because it's too much for us. I can imagine what was going through all the rank and file every time this dude came out and started yelling, yelling at them. Come on, you big babies. You can get me. Look here. Da, 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 da. <clears throat> I'm sure he taunted them, right? We only get a little snippet of the, of the picture, right? But we know, okay, sorry, guys, but we know how guys are. I, can, I got you. I can overtake you. My daddy's bigger than your daddy. <laughs> but I can just imagine everything that was going through the rank and file of those guys, right? Did you see that guy? Oh, my word. He's a monster. Wait, I don't. I don't know anyone bigger than him. Do you know anyone bigger than him? Do you know anyone bigger? I don't know anyone bigger than him. How about you know? Well, my Uncle Jack is pretty big, but I don't think he's that big. His armor alone. How does that guy even stand up, for goodness sakes? That must weigh 10,000 pounds. Our puny little swords and arrows aren't even going to touch this dude. I don't even know if I can aim that high for it to come down and hit him on the head. I, I don't think we can do this, guys. I, I, don't, I don't think so. I, I, don't think, 
I think, I think someone needs to talk to King Saul and just tell him, we just need to turn around and go home and just let the Philistines come on through because I don't think we can do this. I don't think it can be done. I, I, we're just no match for this guy. I can just hear them rumbling through everything. Now, King Saul tried to bribe them. He was trying to be a good king. He tried to bribe them. He says, you know, if any of you guys want to try killing him and you make it, I'll give, you, I'll give you lots and lots of money. I'll even give you one of my daughters. Nobody was taking this offer. But here comes along little David. Well, he wasn't so little. They figure he's probably 16, 17, 18, so a teenager. Now, most teenagers that I know probably would not stand up to a big old giant. They might have a nice sarcastic word for him. But David had some experiences with God while he was out in the field tending sheep, taking care of sheep. He was a seasoned sheep herder. He was dependable. He was persistent. He was brave. And he was just a sheep herder. He was no army guy. He wasn't like his brothers. He didn't know how to handle armor. Samuel described him as glowing with health and a fine appearance and handsome features. Remember? Our pretty boy. But he knew how to handle a crowd of sheep. He knew what it meant to lay down his life, to protect, to stand up for, and he was persistent. 1 Samuel 17. Early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. So his dad had told him, you need to go visit your brothers. I hear there's some scary thing going on. I don't know what it's all about. But you need to go out to see your brothers. Go bring him some food. So he had reached the, arm, the camp as the army was going out into its battle positions. So they must have encouraged themselves enough to go, well, if we all yell and shout, maybe we'll they'll think we're brave. I don't know. So they were getting into battle positions, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines, and asked his brothers how they were. So David's just kind of a little oblivious to everything going on. Because <laughs> I think if I was him and heard all this shouting, I was like, What's going on? But the first thing he asks is how his brothers are doing. How you doing, guys? What's going on? You staying out of trouble? Just as he was, as he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine, the champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance. And David heard him. Come on, you big babies! Come and get me! you get me, I will be servant to all of you guys. But what David heard was whenever the Israelites saw the man, they stepped back 
from their battle lines and fear upon them. Now, the Israelites had been saying, so you know how people talk, right? Things going on. Do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. But the king, you know, the king, he'll give us great wealth to the man who will kill him. He'll give him his daughter. Oh, I missed this one until just now. I just read it. And will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. Sign me up. I'd go out there. <laughs> You're that, no, no taxes at all? Really? All right, I'll go. They repeated to David, it says to him, but to David, what they had been saying and told him, this is what will be done to the man who kills him. Now, when Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the man, remember, this is his pretty boy brother, he got angry with David. Why are you here? Why did you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness with? Come on, you're supposed to be doing, taking care of these jobs. You are conceited and wicked is your heart. For you only came down to watch this battle go on. I think Eliab was just a little mm, embarrassed. Because here Big Brother was shaking in his boots. Big Brother was hiding. And he didn't want his family to know, I'm not dealing with this very well. I'm just a little afraid. So you know how we react? When people call us out on the carpet, like, ha, and it's us. And David said, now what have I done? Can't I even speak? He turned away to someone else and brought up the same manner. And the man answered him as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul. And Saul sent for him. So, granite, pretty boy, might have had a big mouth. I mean, it had to, right? I mean, he got the attention of King Saul. So I can hear David going, well, what's wrong with you guys? You're supposed to be, you know, army guys. You're nothing but a bunch of wimps. Come on, we can do this. What's wrong with you guys? So I'm sure David... Um, was trying to cheer them on, right? Trying to get them, you guys, we can do this. And he's just a shepherd boy. You're a 16-year-old kid. What do you know? Get out of here. David was trying to get to the heart of the matter. He even shrugged off his brother, went, what do you know? But David persisted. He couldn't understand what was wrong with these sheep, well, okay, guys, they're acting like sheep, being dumb, not listening. You're in King Saul's army, you guys. We are the Israelites. That should be our chant. The Lord God Jehovah is our leader, our savior. And you guys are letting this big doughboy take us over. What's wrong with you? 
he got a hold of King Saul's attention, yapped in his mouth. Verse 32 and 39. David said to Saul, Let no one lose heart on the account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. He says, what you see, what you hear, he's messing with you guys. He's messing with you. Why do you let him mess with you? I'm going to go fight him. If you guys can't do it, then I will. Someone needs to stand up here. Someone needs to put aside what they see and what they hear and put their faith in who has us here in the first place. Saul replied, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man. He's, he's probably a warrior since his youth. They probably gave him steroids or something to make him bigger. I don't know. But David would not let go. It was like a pit bull grabbed a hold of something and would not let go. He was not going to be deterred. He had been out in the fields way too often protecting his sheep, not seeing what was around him, but knowing who was there to help him. Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep, and when a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. And when it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. David was not messing around. He's like, I know a lot of you guys were shepherd boys at one time. What have you forgotten? What have you forgotten? You have forgotten so much now. God Almighty is the one who gives you the strength. Not what you see, not what you hear, but knowing. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be just like them because he has defied the armies of the living God. He was brave, he was persistent, he was dependable. David knew what God can do, just as a shepherd boy. He's just a shepherd boy. But he took what he knew and put it into action when the bigger thing came. He took what he knew and put it into action when the bigger thing came. Think about that. How many times have we dealt with the small things? Oh, yeah, God, this is good. I can handle this. Oh, this is just a little anthill. Then the big things come. Like, oh, no, 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 no. No. Uh-uh. No, God, no. And we go into that strategizing, thinking and seeing and hearing, like, oh. I don't know if I can do this. God's like, what is wrong with you? 
What is wrong with you? Stop looking. Stop listening to what you see out here, right? You took care of this little thing. Didn't I say that if I gave you little things, you could do greater things? The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. I can just see that 60-year-old kid with that 16-year-old attitude going, it just is. And Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. Don't know how much Saul really believed David, right? I mean, you're looking at a 16-year-old kid who took care of sheep. But nobody else in his whole army, not a single person in his whole army, would come and say, I can do this, with the confidence that David had. He didn't have no one. So what did he have to lose? A few dollars and a daughter that he was probably ready to give away anyhow. But Saul, thinking that, okay, I'm going to help this kid out. You ever had those people in your lives going, well, I'll help you out. I have some good ideas for you. This, this might work. So Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a car, coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried to walk around. So Saul, if you don't know, Saul was a taller gentleman, right? So I think I remember he was head and breadth taller than the rest of the people, guys. So Saul was a tall dude. David was a 16-year-old kid. So I'm pretty sure he's not a built-up, you know, bodybuilder kid. He was a skinny kid out on the um, fields with the sheep. So he's trying to walk around with them. This ain't going to work. I can't even walk, Saul. I, this is not going to work. How many times have we gone into battle ourselves and have put on ill-fitting weapons to fight our battles? Let's see. I've got grandkids. I teach Sunday school. This is my grandson Daniel's most favorite thing in my house. It is the first thing that he goes looking for in my house. Since the kid was two or three years old, he's now eight. <clears throat> this is basically what it looks like on him. Because he's not a little kid anymore. Doesn't fit him well. But yet, in our lives, we put on a helmet that doesn't fit. Does not do us any good. This, I don't even think it will go over my face. No. So this is supposed to go over your face, right? And all you can see is your eyes. This is not a good thing to wear. But yet, we go out on our own and try and get some armor that fits on our own. We have friends who have good intentions but are not spiritually minded. So we have an ill-fitting hat. Oh, sorry, helmet. But, oh, we can do this on our own. 
I got this to protect me. This is what we do, though, right? This is what we do. We put on something, we grab something, we put it on, and we're like, okay, God, let's go. I'm ready. <laughs> Guys, seriously, we do this. This is what we do. We put on stuff that does not fit us. We look and we hear, and we go, oh, yeah, that'll work. That'll be just fine. It's a little joking, but this will work, really. It will. No, it doesn't. Or if you're like me, and my children have inherited this from me. I'm sorry to say it's not one of the greater qualities. We grab our shield, right? My shield that I use to deflect is my wit and my sarcasm, right? And that's what we do. We use our wit, we use our sarcasm. Oh, nope, nope, oh. Doesn't work, you guys. Does not work. Pastor Trish had said in one of our recent Come As You Are meetings, mm, by the way, sorry, commercial lady time, if you have not been to Come to the Ladies, Come As You Are deal, ladies, you need to come. You're missing out on some awesomeness. You need to make that a priority, and I'll tell you why in a few minutes. Oh, I'll just tell you now. Because this is a weapon we can use. When we come together as women, as a community, and that's just not for come as you are, but when you come to church, when you come to Bible study, when you come to chain breakers, when you come to men's breakfast, that is a weapon you can use because that is a weapon with strength. That is a weapon to help you to lean on, right? You have that staff and that rod. Those are weapons you can use. But she said this, what we pick up may, be, may not be what God wants us to pick up. Really? God, you don't want me to have this on? It, it fits good. Don't I look good in it? We need to lay aside our weapons that we choose to grab and pick up and try to use. Saul had David put on all this stuff, stuff that we take on, put on the stuff that does not allow God to work on us, around us, through us. We make it so difficult that we walk around like ding-alongs. Okay, God, I'm ready. None of it fits. It's not working. So why do we take it on? Why do we put it on? Why do we use it? See what God can do when we allow him to equip us, not us. And I've had to take this to heart. Seriously, you guys. 
Because life is tough. Life is not a bed of roses. It is hard some mornings just to get up. Right? Reality. It's hard to get up some mornings. Especially now that it's cold. It's hard some day to trudge through that day. And a lot of times it's because of the things we've put on that has made it even more difficult to trudge through that day. Verse 39. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. David was used to being out in the field and being with God. Now he has all this junk. And David's probably thinking, I just want to go out there. I don't need all this stuff. I just want to go out there. Just let me go. So he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in his pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. So he's walking out there. How convenient that there's a stream. I suppose they have to have water, right? So he grabs these smooth stones, puts them in his bag, makes his way out to the battlefield. And here it says, the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. It's like, <laughs> think you're a big boy, huh, out there? Come and get me, little one. Come on. Ooh, hey, I think he's a pretty boy, too. He looked at David over and saw that he was little more than a boy. And I find it a little funny that they describe him glowing with health and handsome. Pretty boy was out there to kill this Philistine. And immediately, Goliath did not like this boy. He despised him. I'm sure he was just thinking, you Israelites, you guys are sorry. You sent out some pretty boy out here to try and fight me? You guys are big, sad, silly wimps. And he said to David, am I a dog? Are you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. That didn't stop David. Because David, he didn't have the junk on. He put that aside. He only had his slingshot, some stones, and God. That's all he needed. We don't need all that junk, you guys. We just need God. He'll take care of us. So David said to the Philistine, You come against me with your sword and your spear and your javelin, Ha, ain't going to save you, honey. It says, because I come against you in the name of the Lord God Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands, big boy, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. How do you like that? This very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and to the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. 
All those gathered here will know that it is not by my sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. So you may call me pretty boy all you want, dude, but you're falling down. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. And reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down. So David triumphant. Little pretty boy, he did the job. But did he? Nope. He was God. God all the way. And that's who he trusted. He didn't trust in himself. Did he have some skills? Definitely. God used those skills, and he was training him, right, in the fields of shepherding. He was training him and allowing him, hey, you're going to use this someday. You're going to have to kill a giant. Pretty glad God doesn't always tell us what's going to come ahead. Because I'm pretty sure little David would have been, huh, giant? No, 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 no. I'll stick to bears and lions. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. David knew that in himself he could not overcome. The facts before him and King Saul and his army was that this big dude was more than capable to destroy just by stepping on them like ants. But David had his spirit set that God was in control of everything. He understood that a big bad giant could easily be defeated even by a little young shepherd boy. He did not allow to be brainwashed, right? He did not listen to what was going on around him. He did not see a big giant in front of him. He saw what God could do, not what was before him. Thinking what looked and sounded impossible to defeat is nothing what God can do. Nothing. So what giants are you looking at? What have you allowed to distort what you see, you hear, what you feel? It's been said many, many times our emotions deceive us terribly. When we allow stuff to hinder what God really can do and wants to do, but we're carrying around all this junk, thinking, oh, this will help me. This will do me good. Are you trying to wear clunky, man-made armor and battle shoes? Are you ready to give those up and allow God to use his might and his armor to lead you into battle? So you're like, great, that's wonderful, Cheryl. What do you do? Come to come as you are. Chain breakers. Men's breakfast. Church, you guys. But one of the big things I do when you're at home by yourself is that you need to be grateful. Gratefulness goes a long, long, long way. When we're not being grateful, and maybe you're not being, not being ungrateful, but you're not being grateful. Because you can do that. You can not be ungrateful, right? in the situation that you're in, but you need to be grateful for the things. Praise and worship. 
Pastor Trish this morning, need to break that atmosphere with our praise. Nothing more than a shout to the Lord to break that atmosphere, get shed those things that we've taken on that we don't need. Go around your house, crank up that music, stomp your feet, lift your hands, shout. Your kids do it all the time, you guys. Seriously, your teenagers are doing it all the time. I know, I had door slammers in my house. Break that atmosphere. When you break that atmosphere around you, things happen. So break out that praise. Don't be afraid to shout in your house. It's your house. Shout in your car. People shout all the time at you, saying not nice things because they think you cut, you, they, you cut them off. Rebuke that. Shout good things. Bless that person. We pick up the wrong weapons. God wants us to pick up good weapons, weapons that will actually help us not be distorted by what we're seeing in front of us, not by what we're hearing, not by what we're feeling, but picking up those things like gratefulness, praise. Those are the things that help us conquer over those feelings and those things that we see that overwhelm us, that stress us out, that don't make us want to get up in the morning. Because we think what we see is ahead of us during the day, and God's like, I don't, that's not for you. I don't want you entering into your day being all crabby. I don't want you entering your day stressed out. Don't do that to yourself. Wake up with gratefulness and with praise and giving God glory, for he is in control. We are not in control. Let's stand. Don't try to wear the clunky man-made armor. A, take it from me. It doesn't look good on you. Use the armor that God provides you and gives you. Let's pray. God, you're an awesome God. I'm so 